Romans chapter 1, I'll be reading the uh, verses 8 through 13. Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 13. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing the church at Rome, uh, an active, dynamic church, uh, doing very well under difficult situations, uh, under difficult circumstances. This is the heart, the capital of the Roman Empire, it was a place that was known for its immorality, uh, for its uh, corruption, uh, for its violent nature, and uh, for oppressing the people. And in the midst of that, the church was growing. Isn't that interesting? If we look around the world today, where the church is growing is where it's being persecuted. I just wonder if that's what it's going to take for us to grow in America. In some places in the world today, you're putting your life at risk to attend a service. You can't worship openly like this. You've got to slip around. You're in a back room. You're in a basement. Uh, you're somewhere in hiding. And if you're caught, uh, it'll probably mean jail, maybe even worse than that. But yet the church is growing. And here we have the freedom to come. And I say here, I don't mean just here. Everywhere across this nation we have the freedom to come and worship openly. And we find every excuse in the book not to do it, don't we? Padded pews, heated or air-conditioned buildings, nice facilities. Well, I don't know. Just want to point that out, not part of the sermon, sermon for another time, but maybe, maybe it's going to take a little persecution for the church in America to wake up. Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 13, Paul writing, and he says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. What a compliment. What a compliment. It'd be great. Wouldn't you love it if people throughout... Your association, we're talking about Brent Baptist Church. Now, just let me warn y'all, I'm going to preach to y'all like I'm your pastor this morning, okay? Now, I don't know everything about you, but I know a lot about you. Because I know Baptist. I'm a Baptist preacher's kid. I was Baptist before I was born. Two, week, two weeks old, and I was right there on the pew over there laying on the pillow while my mama sang in the choir. I mean, I was, you know, I went to church. She carried me to church. When she was pregnant for nine months. So I've been a Baptist for a long time and I know us. So I'm going to preach to y'all just like you're mine, okay? I hope you're ready for that. I hope you're ready for that. What a compliment. Throughout the whole world. I wish people throughout Alabama would, heard, would, would hear about Chilton Baptist Association and say, man, do you know what they're doing there? Verse 9. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart, which is to say give unto you some spiritual gift to the end for the purpose that you may be established or encouraged or strengthened. And that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. 
Now, I would have, not have you ignorant or unaware, brethren, that oftentimes I propose or I plan to come unto you. Now, in this version, it has these words in parentheses, but was let hitherto. In other words, I've made plans to come to you, but every time something happened, something came up. Have you ever made plans and then the plans fall through? Something happened and you had to cancel your plans. It didn't work out. That's what he's saying. I've been planning to come to you. I've desired to come to you for a long time. And every time I plan to come, something happened. It didn't work out. But here's why I desire to come unto you. We find it here in the last words of this verse, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to raise a question. And the question is this, and don't answer out loud, because if I went down the aisle and said, answer, 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 you would say what you thought people around you would want to hear. Under that kind of pressure, I wouldn't do you that way, but under that kind of pressure, this is what I'd do too, okay? We'd say what we thought others want to hear, and we might not be totally honest. I want us to be honest this morning, so I don't want you to answer out loud. I want you to answer, I want you to, answer to yourself. And I don't want you to be too quick to do that. I want you to think about it. I want you to be brutally honest, and I want us to perhaps even struggle with the question this morning. Here's the question. What in the world are you doing here? Why do you come to church? And all that that means and all that that implies, why do you do that? I would suspect that most of you come every Sunday morning. That's what you do. A good number of you come to Sunday school and you stay for worship. Some of you even come back on Sunday night. In less than that, but some of you even come on Wednesday night. My goodness. Some of y'all are here every time the doors are open. Some of you, I won't ask a show of hands, but why do you do that? Now, we might say a lot of things. I love the Lord. We might do it out of sense of responsibility, but I want us to struggle with that a little bit this morning. Here's what I want to do to help us answer that question. Now, over here you got this question. Why do you come to church and all that that means, all that that implies? At the same time over here, we're going to ask another question to help us answer this one. And that question is, Paul, why did you desire to go to Rome? Because in finding the answer to this question, we find the right answers to this question. Now, did y'all get all that? Is that clear? I hope so, because I don't want to have to go back and explain that again. All right, we're answering this question to help us answer this question, and this is the question I want us to deal with this morning. Why do you do this? Why do you come to church and all that that means, all that that involves? Same time, Paul, why did you desire to go to Rome? You ready to start? We better hurry. We've got to get out. Quarter till, right? Let's look at it. First of all, Paul desired, and I'll get messed up because not everybody starts at, at, at a quarter till. I'm used to preaching until 12 o'clock. Well, actually, I've been, I've been where I am for going on 21 years. I just preach till I get ready to quit. What are they going to do, fire me? I could have retired five years ago. I mean, you know. But I won't do you that way, hopefully. You, you, hope, you hope I won't. Why did Paul desire to go to Rome? First of all, in order to give something. In order to give something. Look at verse 11. Paul says, for I long to see you. I long 
to see you. I want us to understand the, the depth and the, and the intensity and even the urgency of that word long. I long to see you. Have you ever been separated from someone that you love for a period of time and you miss them so much that it hurt? Some of us can remember that. Probably in our younger years, I remember when, when I think of that, the thing I think of is the first time that my wife and I were separated uh, for a period of time. And I don't mean separated in the legal sense, but, but by distance, place and time. Uh, we dated for three years before we married. The last thing her mom and daddy did before they went to bed at night was kick me out of the house. We got married on January the 7th, 51 years by the way, just the other day. They said it wouldn't last. Some folks are waiting now to see if it's going to last. It's going to last. I've got too much invested in her, and she's got too much invested in me. But I remember, for me, it was leaving to go in the service. Uh, Brother Foster, I, I was in the Air Force. You know, somebody's got to do that. The, the guys that can't hack the Army, we go in the Air Force. And, and uh, so I went to the Air Force. And I was, I, you know, I was going over seas well i was going to basic training and then i was going overseas and and we'd never been away from each other for any length of time and and i'm gonna tell you i was sitting down at maxwell actually it was gunner air force base in montgomery and that first night i missed her so bad i hurt all over i mean literally i was aching to be with her i missed her so much i'll never forget that i missed those skinny legs and that little long blonde ponytail i missed her so much I'd tell you the rest of that story, but I don't have time. And she'd kill me when we got in the car. That's the intensity that Paul is, is speaking with here. Paul's saying, I want to be with you so bad it hurts. I'm aching to see you. Now, we can understand, you know, when you're away from your sweetheart, wanting to see them so bad that it hurts. But, but Paul is, is saying, really, I'm aching to be with you. How do you explain that? When you consider he had never met them. Now, I'd been with her a while, you know, three years, and then we got married in January, and I left in April. You know, we had a relationship, but he had never met them. How do you explain that? Well, that, that's genuine Christian love. Unconditional, genuine Christian love. Now, get this. Studies show that that an average congregation only retains 10% of what the preacher says for any length of time. So this is part of that 10%. Get this now. Genuine Christian love always produces a giving attitude. Genuine Christian love always produces a giving attitude. Paul desired to go to Rome in order to give something of himself to those Christians there. Look at verse 11 again. Why? Paul said, I long to see you that I might impart. That means give unto you some spiritual gift. Now, he doesn't elaborate on the nature of the gift other than it's spiritual. It's spiritual. But he does clearly state the purpose. Go back to the verse. Here it is, the last part of the verse. He says, to the end for the purpose that you may be established, which is to say strengthened and encouraged. Now, get this. Paul wanted to be with those folks in Rome. He had never met them, but he wanted to be with them so much because of that genuine Christian love that always produces a giving attitude. He wanted to be with them in order to give unto them 
a spiritual gift that would strengthen and encourage them. In other words, I want to come and be a blessing to you. How refreshing that is in this selfish world that you and I live in today. Our attitude today is, what's in it for me? People shop around for a church, and I'm sure none of y'all do that. I've been in Chilton County for going on 21 years, and I'll tell you, we've got some folks there. We've got 56 churches, and I know some folks that have been a member of almost every one of them in the past 21 years. I mean, I never know where I'm going to see them. I'll show up because I'm in a different church every Sunday. Often I'm in a different church Sunday morning and Sunday night. I've been in five in one Sunday. That's hard to do. And I'll show up, and there they are. Last time I saw them, they were somewhere else. I said, you attend to here? Yeah, we've been here for a while. Six months later, I'll see them in another church somewhere else. Yeah, we, they moved again. I mean, grasshopper church members, grasshopper Christians, they hop from here to here to here, here. You know, well, did you get your feelings hurt or what? No, we just sort of, you know, somebody else had more to offer. They got a new preacher, we thought we'd check him out. They got this, they got that. No loyalty, no commitment, all over the place. What's in it for me? And so the church has bought into that. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with any of this. Y'all got some of this, I'm sure. I'm just talking about the church as a whole. But, you know, as a few years ago, what was it? 60s, 70s, we had to have a gymnasium. We call them life centers. But we had to have a gym because why? Because somebody else down the road built one, and we were afraid all the youth would go down there. I'm going to tell you, we got country churches out in the middle of nowhere with gymnasium life centers bigger than the sanctuary. I mean, they're huge, and they're empty. They built them because they thought the youth would just flood in there. No, they won't. That business build it, and they will come is a movie. That's not reality. They won't. You've got to go get them, and it takes more than to build it. And they're all over the place, and they don't use them at all. They're just sitting there empty. If somebody does show up, if they don't look like us and they're a little bit dirty, they don't want them using that building, by the way. We had a church in our association that built a life center, and you had to have a membership card. I mean, even among the members, they sold them for $10 a piece. You could be a member of the church and not a member of the life center. That's the craziest thing I ever heard of in my life. Now, if you're reaching it, building it to reach people, build that thing. But if it's just for, you know... Because everybody else has got one. What's in it for me? What's in it? Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody walked out some Sunday and said, God led me here because he revealed to me that I need to be a part of this church, invest my life in the life of this church because I've got something to give and I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. Not just because of what's in it for me. Well, let me ask you, why do you come? Why do you come? I've got to hurry. Paul desired to go to Rome in order to give something. Secondly, Paul desired to go to Rome in order to get something. Now, I know some good Baptist is sitting there thinking, wait a minute, he's contradicting himself. He said Paul desired to go to Rome in order to, to give something. No strings attached. Not like those TV preachers, you know. Send me $100 and I'll send you a prayer cloth. Send me 125 and I'll cry over it. Send me 150, I'll blow my nose on it. I mean, send me that money and I'll. No strings attached. No strings attached. But Paul understood this principle. If we go in order, if our attitude is to, is to be a blessing to someone else, that just naturally will be blessed. 
How many of you have been on a mission trip or, or maybe a ministry within the community, knocking on doors, giving out milk, whatever it might be, and, and over and over and over, if I've, if I've, as I've led people on mission trips, I've been to Guatemala 11 times over the past nine years or so, and, and people will go, especially if it's the first time, and they'll say, I believe I got a bigger blessing than those folks we ministered to did. You've been there. You, you, you understand that. Paul understood that principle. His attitude was to give, but he understood there was a better than even chance he was going to receive something too. He was going to be a blessing, but he understood that he would most likely be blessed as well. He desired to get something. Verse 12, and that is, here it is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Paul was just as ready to receive as he was to give. Some of us, especially those of us in, you know, leadership positions and that kind of thing, uh, we do pretty good with the giving. Some of us have a hard time being on the receiving end. You ever know anybody like that? They, they don't exactly know how to do that. And then some of us have ego problems. You notice I said us. Okay? If, if, if I'm talking to you, I included myself too. And, and you know who you are, but some of us have ego problems, you know, and, and, and we don't have a problem teaching, but we don't really, we're not interested in being taught. Some of us, we love to lead, but mm, we're not interested in following. Paul was ready to do both. Equally so, to, to, to give and to receive. But in order to do that, we, we must have a humble attitude and a cooperative spirit now it's interesting when you consider paul's resume and the resume of these christians in rome you know the story of paul i don't have to tell you about his his prior life as a as a pharisee and the kind of education he would have been the equivalent of a phd from harvard or somewhere like that and and and, and he has a, a an impressive resume these young Christians are babes in Christ. I mean, they're in spiritual diapers. Uh, they're trying to figure it all out. Now, what in the world could he receive from them, from them? Naturally, he would be a blessing to them, but how in the world are they going to bless him? I don't know. I don't know what he had in mind. I don't know what he was thinking. It might just be the fact that they were, for the most part, new Christians. All of them fairly new. Some of them brand new. Have you ever been around a new Christian? Have you remember? They're crazy. New Christians are crazy. They'll witness to the waitress at the restaurant. You don't go to lunch with them. That crazy thing will witness to the restaurant. No, I'm not going with him to lunch. I don't care if he's buying. You know, they'll embarrass you. They don't know any better. Now, those who have been a Christian for a while, we've gotten over it. We know how to be dignified, right? Well, if they ask, you know, if they just insist, I hope they don't, but I mean, we, do, we know how, I mean, those folks, a new Christian, they'll, they'll say amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah, right in the middle of church. The very idea. You know, they might lift their hand, hold, no, please. That's why we put stained glass windows so I can see in, see why we're doing it now. That's why, that's why you don't ever, that's why you don't ever ask people to a question and say, you know, whatever it is. Now, if you agree that, raise your hand. You don't do it in the Baptist church. Nobody's going to raise their hand. I could, I could say, everybody wants a $100 bill, raise your hand. Y'all wouldn't raise your hand. Because we just, you, we'll feel guilty all week long if we were to, and I'm not a hand raiser myself. I mean, it's just not, but, but you know what I mean? I mean, if somebody did, everybody in the church would be. 
you know, oh, Lord, they're going to get out of control. <laughs> what are we going to do? We've got to have a deacon's meeting right after church. We've got to get a hold of this situation. I mean, this, this will get out of hand. <laughs> We've got to nip it in the bud, as Barney Fife would say. He expected to be a blessing, but to receive a blessing from those brand new Christians. Again, that takes a humble spirit and a cooperative attitude. Somebody down in Auburn, appreciate your shirt, by the way, roll tight. Somebody down in Auburn, no offense, did a study on migratory birds and ducks and geese, waterfowl in particular, and their migratory habits. And they observed from the ground and they observed from the air and airplanes and, 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 and they watched those geese flying. And you know how they do it in a V formation? You know why they do that? Because they think it's cool, right? No, they don't know. They do that because God implanted that in them instinctively. They don't understand it. But the researchers were watching that and they noticed something about those geese flying in a V formation. Every so often, the lead goose would drop off to the back. And then after a while, that one would drop off to the back. After a while, that one would drop off to the back. And he kept dropping off and moving up, dropping off, moving up. You know what they were doing? Any stock car fans here? Same thing stock car drivers do. They were drafting. Now, I'm not an expert on stock car driving, but I've seen it a few times. And, and, and this, the idea is this car gets right up on the bumper of this car, sometimes even so close they'll touch, and he's right on his bumper. And those of like myself, you know, that don't know what's going on, you think, why don't he pass? I mean, I can tell that he could. They got opportunities. Why doesn't he pass? He doesn't want to pass. He's drafting. That means that car in the front creates wind currents, and those wind currents pull that other car along. That means that engine's running uh, slower or, or not as hard, not as much strain and stress on the engine. He's using less gasoline. He's saving his tires. And they go around lap after lap and then on that final lap, then he slingshots around that thing, passes and wins the race. Because his car's still fresh. The other guy's worn out. He's been leading all that time. Ducks understand that. They each give and receive from the other. You know what that means? That means geese are smarter than badgers. We don't have the sense God gave a goose. Baptists act like quail. Any of you ever been quail hunting? Any bird hunters in here? If you're, if you're a quail hunter, you just say bird hunting. If you don't know what bird hunting means, then you don't know anything about it. Duck hunting is not bird hunting. Dove hunting is not bird hunting. Pheasant hunting. Bird hunting is hunting quail. You ever been walking through a field or through the woods and, and, and scare up a covey of those things unexpectedly and give you a heart attack, right? When you get up, when you flush up a covey of quail, what do they do? On the V? <laughs> no. What do they do? They scatter everywhere, don't they? I mean, they go in every direction. Doesn't that look like your average Baptist church? I mean, we got the WMU and they're off over there. And we leave them alone because you don't mess with the WMU. Any, any pastor, I'll have some pastors every now and then, they'll come talk something about the WMU. I'll say, son, if you want to stay in that church or any church, you leave them women alone. You better, you better make a friend out of the WMU if you've got good sense. But they're off over there. And the brotherhood, if they're doing anything, they're off over here somewhere trying to figure it all out. They're beating and eating. And the senior adults are over there, and the 
young adults are over there and the youth are, they're not sure where they are, but they're somewhere. And, and, and sometimes, sometimes staff members are going in all different directions and everybody's doing their own thing and everybody's working hard. I mean, we're working really hard, but we're not accomplishing, accomplishing anything. Sometimes we're working harder than ever before and accomplishing less. Because we're all doing our own thing. If we could ever get on the same end of this thing, if we had the sense God gave a goose, if we could get united and pull together, headed in the same direction, there's no telling what Brent Baptist Church could do. Now, I don't even know y'all, but I figure y'all are a typical Baptist church. Y'all been here a long time. You look typical. <laughs> That's better than looking, you know, something else. I just imagine. I, I, I was using this illustration a few years ago, and a lady, as we were leaving, those that weren't mad at me went out the side door. But the others, she went out and she gave me a picture, and her seven-year-old son had drawn a picture of the illustration. You know, I, I said something about, about uh, uh, a lot of churches look like a, a wagon with a horse hit, hitched on each end, you know, and you yell, giddy up, and imagine what that would be like. You'd be going around in circles, stirring, stirring up a lot of dust, but not going anywhere. He drew that, and right down the middle of that wagon, he drew a crack. That little seven-year-old boy got it. I hope y'all do. Just imagine, again, if we could get on the same end of this wagon, working together, cooperating with one another, moving in the same direction, we could get a lot more done and wouldn't wear out a bunch of good leaders in the process. If you're not careful, you can get worn out. You find a good horse in the church, and you'll ride him to death. You'll give him one job, and then two, and then three, and the next thing you know, and four or five, and the next thing you know, he dreads Sunday coming around. He dreads any thought of church because he's got too much on him, he's worn out, and he doesn't see much happening as a result of it. Let's get together. Forget all that silly mess. I don't care what color the carpet is or the pews. Are. I don't care. There are people dying and going to hell. That's all that matters. You know what? There are folks out there in other countries worshiping under a tin roof and a dirt floor. And they're reaching people for Jesus because they know that's what it's about, reaching people for Jesus. If we're not reaching people for Jesus, we just got a club. We might as well join the Civitans. There's nothing wrong with any of that, but let's just go there, you know. They don't expect what we do. Well, gee whiz. Paul desired to go to Rome because he expected to, go, to, to, to get, give something and receive something in return. i got to quit. Last point, don't worry. Paul desired to go to Rome, and I'm asking, why do you come to church? Paul desired to go to Rome in order to give something, to get something, and he also expected to gather something when he arrived in Rome. Verse 13, Now I would not have you ignorant or unaware, brethren. Oftentimes I propose to come unto you. Plans fell through, but here's why. That I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Now Paul, it's very clear, expected for something to happen for his visit to Rome to be fruitful. Now, we don't know the, exactly what he had in mind. It might have been that uh, it would be the fruit of new converts or the fruit of, of, of Christians that were already there growing in their faith. I, I don't know what he had in mind. I would expect if Paul came to town, probably all of those things would happen. be like Billy Graham coming to town. Something would happen 
but God expected God to show up when he got to Rome. God was already there at work in those Christians at Rome. Paul wanted to get in on that and be a part of gathering that spiritual harvest. I've got to ask you, what do we expect? Notice I said we. What do we expect when we come to church? Do we get up on Sunday morning and say, man, I can't wait to get down to church. God's going to show up. Something's going to happen today. Is that what you thought this morning? I confess, I knew what I was going to preach this morning, and I, I didn't think about it because Judy wasn't getting fast, uh, ready as fast as I wanted her to. And, you know, and I thought we were running late. We got here early, but I thought we was running, might run a little late. Got about the new road, and it takes off about 10 minutes. And I was just thinking about getting here on time. Didn't want to be late. That's what I was thinking about this morning knowing I was going to be preaching on this. We get up on Sunday morning, we sleep as late as we can, and then we run a little late for church. And, you know, if you've got children at home, <laughs> I know what you're doing there because I had children at home. Now i got grandchildren, and sometimes we're together on the weekend, you know. Hurry up, get ready. If you make me late, I'll kill you, you know. And we get in the car, and we scream at each other, you know. And then we get out of the car, got our smiles on and all that stuff. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. You were just threatening to kill each other just a minute ago, you know. Do we even think about it? I read a story about uh, a college professor who was, was walking through the seminary, or, or as a seminary professor walking through the seminary on a Monday morning, and a group of preacher boys were gathered in the cafeteria, and they were lamenting over the services they had the day before. Preachers do that. We call it pastor's conference now. But anyway, they, they'll do that. And they, were, they were talking about, and these are, these are student preachers, and, and they're thinking, you know, listen, I preach those sermons textbook perfect. And they're pretty good. And they were all sharing about what they preached on and all that. But here was the problem. Nobody was responding. They'd give the invitation. Nobody would walk the aisle. And they couldn't figure it out. The professor overheard that and he interrupted and said, well, young men, when you preach those textbook perfect sermons, you give that invitation. Do you expect anybody to walk the aisle? Long silence. Finally, one of them got up the courage to speak, and he said, honestly, hadn't thought about it. Hadn't thought about it. Maybe that's one of our problems. We hadn't thought about it. You think it'd make a difference if we got up on Sunday morning thinking, wonder who's going to get saved today. Wonder what backslidden Christian is going to get his life today. Wonder what young person is going to accept a call to ministry today. I don't know what's going to happen, but God's going to show up. God's going to do something. I can't wait to get down there and be right in the middle of it. Fact is, you're like me. We don't even think about it, do we? Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's the problem. All right, got to wrap up. Two questions. Why do we come to church and all that that means? Why did Paul decide to, write to, to, to go to Rome? Because answering this will help us answer that. Paul desired to go to Rome in order to give something. He was planning to invest his life in their life. Paul desired to go to Rome understanding that he would get something as well. He was going to be a blessing. He understood he'd receive a blessing. And Paul desired to go to Rome in order to gather something, a spiritual harvest and i submit to you this morning if we'll come to church for those same reasons we can be a blessing we can receive a blessing and we can be part of god gathering a spiritual harvest to his honor and his glory why do you do it 
I hope you'll think about it today, tomorrow, maybe for the next few days. Let's pray.